get to stand in for Pastor Phil today. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're doing that, a couple of brief announcements uh, to remind you. Uh, VBC workers, you have a training meeting today at 4 o'clock. And uh, registration also begins today in the foyer. Uh, you also need to know about a Beth Moore study on Daniel. Uh, begins this Wednesday. And please note, too, that the Mother's Day brunch um, has been canceled. And finally, if you are planning on participating in the high school graduate and promotion Sunday, please make sure you RSVP Philip uh, by next Sunday so they can make preparations for that. That's it. Hebrews chapter 11. As I've listened to Pastor Phil teach on the theme, Think God, in the year 2012, I have been challenged to try to understand what that means for my own life and my own walk and my own response to God. And if I could interpret what I'm hearing to you, when I hear the phrase to think God, this is what I hear. That if I want to know God better than anything and experience the joy, the victory, the satisfaction that comes from having a life that God wants me to have, then what I need to do is to be so saturated with His person and His presence and His word in my life that I begin to be animated by His very heart so that what He thinks I think and what He desires I desire and what He does I learn to do. And if there's one guy in the Bible that helps me learn about how to think God, it's Abraham. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to find verse 8. We're going to circle around the Old Testament for a while, and we're going to eventually land in Hebrews in the New Testament. I'm going to teach you how we can learn how to think God from Abraham's life. So I'll begin reading in verse 8. I'm going to read through verse 19. And you listen for the lessons Abraham learned about thinking God. Here they are. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, 
they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered as a sacrifice Isaac. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and Figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. There is so much in that passage that teaches me about how to think God. Now, we're not going to use a PowerPoint today on the screen, so you're going to have to be totally awake, and you're going to have to follow me every step. It's, how can God even move without technology? I don't know how it's possible for God to do that, but, but we're going to just plow through this outline that you've got in your bulletin here, and I'm going to teach you some lessons about how Abraham learned how to thank God. But I'm going to start with the story that these verses explain. So I want you to keep something in Hebrews 11. Keep a, a, a piece of your bulletin or keep your wife's finger or your husband's finger or your child, but somehow mark that spot and then turn back to the Old Testament all the way to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. And I'm going to go through the story of how Abraham learned how to think God, and then we will look at Hebrews again, and we will draw out these lessons for today. <clears throat> but as I read those verses, you get this feeling that the writer of Hebrews thinks about Abraham as a guy who got it, as a man who, who wrestled with learning how to trust God, and he got it. He understood how to think God. Abraham is remembered as the greatest man of faith, humanly speaking, of all time, even outside of the Bible, Abraham is thought of as one of the great persons of faith of all time. Did you know the Quran talks about Abraham a lot? In the Quran, it says this, Abraham was a model, devoutly obedient to Allah and true to the faith. In Judaism, about 50 years before Jesus was born, Philo of Alexandria said this about Abraham. And, and Jesus would have been very familiar with the teachings of Philo in the first century. Philo said this, that Abraham believed things not present as beyond question already present because he believed in the faithfulness of the God who promised them. That's a pretty good quote. Philo said this 50 years before the birth of Christ about Abraham. Listen to this again. Abraham believed things not present as beyond question already present because he believed in the faithfulness of the God who promised them. Some of these old dead dudes um, said some pretty good things. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah said that God found Abraham's heart faithful to him. And in the New Testament, James tells us that because of Abraham's faith, he was called the friend of God. Now, what I want to help you to understand this morning, and it's very important that you and I hear this, Abraham was not born with this kind of faith. 
Abraham was born an enemy of God, just like all of us. And he was raised to worship idols. Joshua 24, verse 2 tells us this. That Abraham's parents, his father, their family worshipped other gods, and Abraham was raised to worship other gods. Let me tell you a little bit about his upbringing. He was born in the city of Ur, which was on the Euphrates River in what is today southern Iraq. So technically, Abraham is from Iraq. And the city of Ur was the New York City of ancient Mesopotamia. In Abraham's day, Ur was wealthy and advanced in math and education and business. The city of Ur was dominated by this massive three-stage or three-tiered ziggurat that was similar to the pyramids in Egypt. And at this place, they worshipped the moon god, Namu. Now, that's not in the Bible, but that's the city Abraham was born and raised in, and that's the god they worshipped in Ur. In Ur, they sealed the tombs of royal families with live human sacrifices. They buried his servants and his slaves and his concubines with him, and they perished in the tomb with their dead king. So Ur, advanced as it was in the 20th century B.C., nevertheless was in bondage to the darkest paganism. And Abraham was a part of that society. He was not born with the kind of faith the Bible talks about. He was born an enemy of God, and he was raised and worshipped other gods. And that's the way you and I are apart from Christ. And it's to this man, God came, and we find him in this part of the ancient world in Genesis chapter 12, and then God comes to him, and he makes these staggering promises that you see in Genesis chapter 12. So make sure you've got Genesis 12, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and listen to these seven unbelievable promises that God makes to Abraham, this pagan worshiping Namu in Ur, what is today southern Iraq. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then here's these promises. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. <clears throat> I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. These seven promises are so crucial to Abraham's life that, in fact, the entire rest of the Old Testament flows out of them. And, and really, the story of the entire Bible is the story of the fulfillment of these promises. So Abraham really is at the top of the list of great people of faith. But you need to understand that he was not seeking God. God sought him. Abraham did not wake up one day and say, I think I will find the God who later became the God of Israel, and he was the father of Jesus Christ. That's not how this went down. God found Abraham. God revealed himself to Abraham. God made these promises to Abraham that blew his mind. 
And so I want you to find your outline, and I want you to put this first blank down and get it down and understand how God saved Abraham. He saved him in exactly the way he saves anybody else. Abraham was saved by grace alone. That's the blank on the outline here. He was saved by grace. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't doing anything that might please God. God came to him and challenged and confronted him and then poured blessing out upon his life and prophesied about what his future would be. God also saved Abraham through faith alone. He was saved by grace alone through faith alone, like us. Turn ahead to Genesis chapter 15, and I will show you how faith worked. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. Abraham was 75, she was 65, and they long ago gave up on the dream of having children. Now, Abraham loved God, but his life situation was not lining up with God's promise to make him into a great nation. And so right now, believing God was hard for Abraham. And in chapter 15, God, he comes to Abraham and he says, I am your shield and your great reward. And Abraham wants to believe that, but he's got this problem that his life and his, his family was not happening the way he thought it would, the way God said it would. And he says, O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And God corrects him. And he says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Now, Abram's hearing these words. And then God wants to show him what he means. And so he walks him outside. And this conversation must have been happening at night because God shows Abram the sky. And he says, try to count the stars. And I can see him trying to do it. Have you ever tried to do that? It's hard to do it in the county because there's all this stuff up there that blocks our view, and so we see these stars, and then we, you know, we can be like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then you start to look in one spot, and what do you start to see when you're looking in one spot in the night sky after a while? What starts to come into view more? More stars, yeah, and so you're like, oh, whoa, there's more, and so you keep on counting, and God's like, go on, let me, let me hear you try to do it, and so he's up there trying to count the stars, and and as he's trying to count, God tells him, so shall your offspring be, in verse 5. And verse 6 is what I want to show you. Here is, here is his reply to God's promise. Count the stars if you can. That's what your offspring is going to be like, and it's going to come through your own body. You are going to have a child. And even though physically that was an impossibility, look at verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. In the Old Testament, people were saved in the exact same way they're saved in the New Testament. Sometimes we don't understand or realize that because Jesus Christ comes at the start of the New Testament. But I want you to see right here 
that Abraham did not earn his way, he did not keep some law that found favor with God because he was obedient. Instead, God came to him and revealed himself to him as this God of blessing. And God showed him how he was going to make his descendants as numberless as the stars. And all Abram did was say, God, let it be according to your word. So be it. I believe you, Lord. And God, because of his faith, counted Abraham righteous. And all he had was God's promises. You see, he was learning how to think God at this stage in his life. Now, here is the challenge, though, that every single one of us faces. You see, you and I, we want to learn how to think God, but where do we have to learn how to think God? We have to learn how to think God in a broken world and a fallen world that is filled with sin and injustice and heartache and disappointment. Back up two chapters to chapter 12. I want to show you a time where he struggled. Abraham struggled with learning how to think God. It's in chapter 12 and it's verse 10. Here's some ways that this world that he lived in was a hard world to learn how to think God in. In verse 10 of chapter 12, it says there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So the first thing you need to see about the world he lived in was that when famine came, it was very hard to make a living. You and I, we know about famines that occur in the world today. But there's other ways that making a living can be extremely hard in a fallen world. All of us know about that. All of us know about figuring out how to make the expenses match our income and learning how to trust God in a broken world can be a challenge. And he had the exact same kind of challenge. Except that instead of trusting God in the middle of the famine, he left the land that God gave him. He left Canaan. He walked away from the place where God's promises were located and he went down to Egypt. He took matters into his own hands. And then he did something else, which is really quite amazing that a man of this caliber of faith would do this. But he did it. He gets down to Egypt, and he's afraid of the king of Egypt, that he might try to do harm to him so that he could take Sarah to be his own wife. And so he talked his wife, Sarah, into lying for him and saying to the king that he was actually her sister. And technically, they were related. But he wanted her to cover up the fact that they were married so that his life might be spared. And the king of Egypt took her as a wife. And he added her to his harem. And so here's this man of amazing faith in the character of God basically letting a pagan king take his wife from him and exposed her to the danger of this stranger who had the power to hurt her. I want you to look in verse 16 of chapter 12. Abram did great in the deal. The king treated him well for her sake, and he acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, and maidservants and camels. 
But what would have happened if the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had decided that he wanted to have Sarah and he took her by force? That would have been a horrible tragedy. Now, even though Abraham was struggling with learning how to thank God, God came after that Pharaoh. In verse 17, the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. And so the Pharaoh summons him, and he basically calls him out on the carpet and says, why did you lie to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Have you ever... Have you ever walked away from God and in rebellion you knew that your behavior, your attitude, the things you were saying did not honor God and someone next to you, a friend or a co-worker, they knew who you were and they may not have been a Christ follower but they hear what you're saying and have you ever been called out by someone that didn't know the Lord and said, you know, why are you acting this way? This is not the way a Christian is supposed to act. That's got to be the most humbling kind of correction to ever get is when someone that doesn't know the Lord tells you, you're not acting like you know the Lord. And see, I don't know what Abraham was thinking way back in Genesis 12 when God made all these promises to him, but if he was thinking this, finally my ship has come in. I just got to believe in this God who's revealed himself to me and everything's going to work out great in this life. If he was thinking that, he would have been wrong because Abraham had to learn how to follow God in a fallen world, and he was not willing yet to risk losing his life on the promises of God. And there's this view of the life of faith today that says it is not God's will for us to walk through difficulties and that that lack and, and sickness is caused by a lack of faith. That teaching is very popular and very prominent among many famous preachers today, and it does not line up with the following scriptures. Listen to these scriptures and tell me if that lines up with what these verses say. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Matthew 10.21, brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death but the one who endures to the end will be saved. John 16, 1, the hour will come when the one who kills you will think he's offering service to God. Romans 8, 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided we share in his sufferings in order that his glory might be revealed. Philippians 1.29. Do you see the theme here? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. And 2 Timothy 1.8. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me, Paul said, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We have to learn how to thank God in a broken and a fallen world that is hostile to God. I read this from yesterday's persecution brief in the online paper called the Christian Post. It just keeps track of the persecuted church throughout the world. This was from yesterday's news from last week. An Iran, Iranian Christian pastor, Youssef 
Narakani has been in prison for months now, facing a death sentence for the crime of apostasy because he converted from Islam and he now preaches Christ and he's a pastor. His, etern- his attorney last week was sentenced to prison for nine years because in his defense of Pastor Yusuf, he spoke against the regime. And now Pastor Yusuf's life is in greater jeopardy. He does not know from one day to the next, including this day, whether he will live or die. In Nigeria, last week, the head of Nigeria's Christian community pleaded with the government to bring an end to the terrorist attacks by the, the terrorist group Boko Haram which targets Christians because they are Christians, and they have left hundreds dead. Most recently, a pastor and 20 worshipers were gunned down in two separate incidences which targeted Christian worship services. In Kenya, two dozen Christians died in the most recent round of terrorist attacks. The Vatican expressed sympathy for the victims and called on them not to give in to the temptations of hate. And in Vietnam last week, a group of Vietnamese Christians who were arrested a year ago and sentenced to 30 months in prison will remain there for now because the court that heard their appeal refused to overturn their verdict. That's last week. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We and they are part of the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ across the globe. And if they don't know how to thank God right now, they will not stand in the hour that it's most important to stand. And neither will you. And what I'm trying to show you here from Genesis and the struggle that Abraham had to learn how to thank God is that this kind of faith is not learned overnight. It was not learned overnight in Abraham's life, and it's not learned overnight in your life as well. It is a grueling process of growing in grace and truth and letting God break up and plow up unbroken soil in our hearts and learn how to pull up the weeds of selfishness and arrogance and racism and anger and bitterness and calloused hearts and lust and worry and doubt. It's a lifetime of learning how to let God deal with us and work in us and purify our hearts and sanctify us. And 25 years pass by in Abraham's life, and the whole time he is learning day by day that God is enough. God is faithful. God will do what he says he will do. But right now, he has to learn how to thank God when God's promises are not being fulfilled. And then 25 years go by, He still doesn't have a son with Sarah. And finally, God gives him Isaac. And all of his dreams come true. But then, Isaac, when he becomes a teenager, God asks Abraham to do something unthinkable. God asks him to give Isaac back. I want you to turn to chapter 22. And I want to show you what he had to do 
in order to learn how to walk by faith and thank God in his life. But before I, I show you this story, I want to ask a question of you who say that you want to know God better than anything else in this life. What if God came to you and he said, I want you to know me better than anything else too. Because knowing me is better by far than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. But for you to know me like that, I'm going to need you to give back to me what is most precious in the world to you. I want you to give back to me what matters most, what is most important. The dream that you're holding on to, the longing for something in this life that you want to see come to pass, the hope that things will work out the way you want them and you think that they should work out in your life. What if God said to you, look, I know that what you really want is to know me and to know me that well. You're going to need to give that back to me. That's the kind of crisis Abraham faced when God came to him and tested him in Genesis 22. God told him in, in chapter 22, 3, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering in one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, if you've got your pen out, I want you to circle the word early in verse 3. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He cut the wood, he set it on Isaac, and together they set out for the mountain that God would show him. And they got to a place in verse 5 where he said to his servants, Stay here, we will go and worship, and then we will come back to you. And if you, if you could underline the word we twice in that verse, I'm going to come back and talk about it. Underline the word we we will worship, and then we, we will come back to you. So they go up to the mountain. Isaac realizes that they don't have a sacrifice, and he asks his father, where's the sacrifice going to come from? And I'm sure that Abraham's heart was breaking, and he was grieving, even though he was obeying the Lord without hesitation. And he told him, God will provide the sacrifice. And when they got to the place, and Isaac willingly allowed his father to bind him, and everything began to come into focus, that if I'm going to know God, I'm going to have to give back to God the thing that is most precious to me in the world. And in verse 10, he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that phrase, you have not withheld from me, is the key. It's the key to everything this message is aiming at. When was it clear when was it clear that Abraham had learned how to thank God in his life? On your outline, there are three things I want to show you from this final test of Abraham's faith that proved that he had learned how to thank God. And the first is that he obeyed God's word without hesitation. On your outline, the blank there is he obeyed. He obeyed God's word without hesitation. 
Look back in verse 3 again and look at that word early. Early in the morning he obeyed. There's no evidence of soul searching or, or wavering or arguing with God and saying, God, you know, I've got a better plan. Why don't you come over here and get on my page with my plan? In fact, the text suggests the opposite. It suggests that his obedience was immediate. The very next morning, early in the morning, he got up and obeyed. And that kind of obedience only comes from a lifetime of learning that God is good and can be trusted, even though circumstances might be extremely difficult. And I can't imagine a more difficult circumstance than this. Are you moving toward the place where you so trust the promises and the word of God that when God's word tells you this is what you need to do, you're ready to just obey? The second way we know that he was learning and had learned how to thank God was that he believed God in spite of his difficult circumstances. The blank there is he believed God in spite of his circumstances. How do I know Abraham believed God's promises? Look in verse 5. Because he told his servants, we, my son and I, we're going to go and we're going to worship. And then he didn't say, I'm going to come back. I'm, I'm going I'm to leave my son there on the altar. He said, who's going to come back? We're going to come back. And what's amazing about this is that he had no plan B. He only knew what God had said and that if he had to go through with it, he would somehow get his son back. And then third, how do I know that he, he was thinking God when he withheld nothing from God, even what was most precious in this life? When he obeyed God's word without hesitation, when he believed God's promises in spite of difficult circumstances, and when he withheld nothing from God, even what is most important to him. And it gets crazy here. I want you to think about this. Isaac was the most important thing in the world to Abraham. All of God's promises were tied up. His, his promises about a great life and a great legacy and a nation that would come from him, they were all tied up in the promises about Isaac. And that's what makes it so hard here. It's not like God was saying, look, I want you to downsize your house so you can give more to missions. I want you to change jobs. I want you to be willing to take a hit on your annuity in a tough economy. To sacrifice Isaac went all the way down to the heart of God's covenant with Abraham. And obedience was going to mean that everything, and I mean everything, was on the table. And he passed the test. God was so real to him. God was so good to him. Abraham's soul was so tied to the faithfulness of God that he staked everything on God's ability and his willingness to keep his promise and he gave everything God ever gave him back to God. And he said, in effect, God is enough. God is enough. It may cost everything that matters to me, but God is better than everything and so I'm not holding on to anything, not even my only son. God, he's yours. He's yours. And my challenge to you this morning, as, I, as I'm trying to, to, to walk with this story and then walk with us through the truths of this story, is to try to understand how God is working in your life and in my life to teach us how to think his thoughts after him and how to have his heart and how to be able to move with him when he moves. And this is what God does. God asks you to look at what is most important to you in this life. 
And I don't know what it is, but everybody has something that's really important. Something or someone or some hope or some dream that's really precious to us. And we all have things like that, that that we're working towards and that we're holding on to. Things that really matter. Things that aren't bad things, but things that we set our hearts on. And God comes to every one of us and he says, if you want to know me better than anything else, then I need you to give this back to me. I need you to let me have this. I will be in control of the outcome. It may or may not work out the way you're hoping it will work out, but you're always going to know that I will be enough for you in the midst of the uncertainty as you wait. Now I want us to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want us to listen to how the writer of Hebrews explains what I just said to you. I love the book of Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a hard book to read. If you want to go to a great Bible study class, go to Michael Shattuck's class on Hebrews. He's teaching through the whole book verse by verse right now. Whenever students at Mobap ask me for some help in understanding the Old Testament, I always say go to Hebrews. Because Hebrews is a commentary on the Old Testament. It's a sermon. And it's a sermon, and the text of the sermon of Hebrews is the entire Old Covenant, the entire Old Testament. And where I read to you at the beginning of this message in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11, the verses I read are a commentary on how Abraham learned how to think God. And there's so much wisdom in what I read to you from the scriptures to help you understand how God is working right now in your life to take you to the place where you are able to say, God, you know what? I want, you are so good. I've tasted your grace and, and the sweetness of your salvation. And I understand right now that knowing you is better than anything else I could ever want to know in this life. And these verses tell you then how you can move towards the place where that's the way you think and that's the way you live. So follow me and fill in these blanks here on the second page of the outline as we answer the question, how can we learn from Abraham how to think God today? And here are the lessons that the writer of Hebrews drew from Abraham's life story, which I just surveyed with you. And here's the first, here's the first way we can learn how to think God today. First, by choosing to obey God without all the answers or knowing how everything will work out. Look at Hebrews eleven eight with me again. Look down there at verse 8. It's really great. I mean, God gave the writer of Hebrews incredible insight into the obedience of Abraham. Look in verse 8. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, and I love this phrase, even though he did not know where he was going. And, and that is an incredible statement about Abraham's faith. Abraham knew one thing, that God had called him to follow. God had called him to obey. But what does God not tell him? What does God not tell Abraham? He doesn't tell him where he's going. He just says, I want you to follow me. He doesn't give him all the answers. And some of you, and and college students, are thinking this every single day of their semesters. 
But some of you are thinking about this question, how, how do I find the will of God for my life? Why doesn't God just tell me what his will is? Wouldn't that be easier? And can we just all acknowledge, can we just all agree, we don't have to be spiritually proud and try to one-up each other. I think every single one of us would probably say, you know what, that would be cool with me if God would just say, look, I, I want you to know that I don't want you to have to worry about anything, so the road in front of you is going to look like this. You're going to go here, you're going to go there, you're going to do these things. It's going to all work out well, but here's what the road looks like in front of you. Wouldn't that be great? It would if the point was so that you can know what the road looks like in front of you. But here's the thing, that is not the point with God. That's just not what God's up to. That's not God's agenda with you and me. What God wants to do is teach you to obey Him without knowing what the road looks like in front of you and not knowing how everything will turn out. So that every time you choose to do what you're given to do today without the answers, God shapes your heart so you can see him better than you could if you had everything laid out in front of you. I want to ask you a question. If you had the path all laid out in front of you that you need to walk today, next week, next month, next year, and the rest of your life, if you had that path all laid out and you could see everything that was coming, would you tend to look at God more or would you tend to put your eyes on the path? I'd put my eyes on the path. But what if God came to you and me, and this is what he does, if he comes to you and me and he says, I want you to know that if you will trust me with your life, with everything, every hope, every fear, every dream, every disappointment that you're waiting to resolve itself, if you will trust me with everything, in the end, I will cause all things to work together for good, for those who love me, those who are called according to my purpose. I'm going to work it all out, but I'm not going to show you exactly what's going to happen from day to day, and I'm not going to give you all the easy answers you might want to have. But I can be found when you seek me with all your heart. And if God operates that way, he doesn't show you the path, but he shows you himself, what are you going to be prompted, pushed, pulled, moved towards? Looking for the path all the time or looking to the God who says, you will seek me when you search and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart? My eyes are going to be more on God. And see, guys, that's why God doesn't give us all the answers, and that's why he does not let us know how everything will work out. Because that's not his agenda. His agenda is in the uncertainty that you would learn how to trust him. Second way you learn how to think, God, on your outline here, B, when you learn to see yourself as a stranger here, as you look forward to the city God is building. Look in verse 9 of Hebrews 11. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a what? He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. He was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, God brought Abraham to Canaan, but Abraham really was never quite home there. That's what he's saying. He lived in tents, even though he was living in the promised land. He always felt something like a stranger. And I want, to, I want to challenge you to think about something. It's very important that you and I get this. 
There is something peculiar about the relationship between the Christian and her world. There's something peculiar about it. God wants you to invest here. He wants you to serve here. He wants you to love your neighbor here. He wants you to seek the good of the city here. But there is something in how you keep looking to the sky. There's something in your eyes. There's an ache in your heart. And there's always this longing that keeps telling you, you know, I'm not home yet. I'm I'm really not home yet. I'm really a stranger here. I'm looking forward to the city that God is building. Next on the outline, see, we learn to thank God when we believe that God makes beautiful things out of impossible situations. The blank there is beautiful things. Abraham was as good as dead, the writer of Hebrews says. He's saying there's no human way this is going to happen. It's an impossible situation. But it happened. And God did something beautiful. He gave Abraham descendants as numberless as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And today, every single believer in Jesus, including West County Community Church, we are a part of the fulfillment and the blessing and the beautiful thing that God did because Abraham chose to trust God in his impossible situation. And fourth, and this is, this is a hard truth, but it's something we need to, we need to take to heart. We've got to be willing to welcome God's promises from a, and the blank there is from a distance. Please don't, don't rush past verse 13. We've got to hear this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Could, could we just agree on something here that we need, to, we need to agree and we need to settle this together so we can help each other when it's hard to believe this and accept it? But there are some things that are going to happen in this life or not happen, and they're going to disappoint us, and they're going to confuse us, and they're going to be extremely painful. And some of those things, we are not going to understand why they happen until we get to heaven. And until then, we need to be those who are able, who are at rest in the goodness of God, who are able to welcome God's promises from a distance. And that means that in this life, those disappointments, though we wish, though we want, though we long for them to work themselves out, you will know that your heart is set on the Lord when you're willing to say, God, even if they don't work themselves out, you're better. You're better. And I'm going to wait, and if I have to wait for the rest of my life, and if I die, and there's still things that have happened to me and in this life that I do not understand, I could not find a reason for. I couldn't see how they fit into your plan. Then you are one of those who is learning to say, God, I will welcome your promises. And, and in this life, I will welcome them from a distance. But when I see you, there won't be any distance between me and your heart anymore. E, by fixing your eyes on God, by learning how to 
thank God, that's the blank, and refusing to turn back. Look, it says in verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But they were longing for a better country, for a heavenly country. Guys, don't be like Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? As they were leaving Sodom, Lot's wife looked back at Sodom. She looked back at the city that she left, and she became a pillar of salt. Don't be like Judas Iscariot. Jesus called Judas to follow him, but Judas kept on thinking about the money bag. He kept looking at the money bag until he started stealing from the money bag, and then soon he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The way you learn to thank God is you fix your eyes on him and you don't think about the country that you've left, but you think about the country that you're going to, the heavenly one. In verse 16. And then finally, the bottom of the page on your outline. And this is the sweetest and yet the greatest challenge of anything I'm going to say. The way you learn to thank God today is by letting your dreams of everything you hope for in this life, what? Die. And remembering that God can raise the dead. Verse 17, God tested Abraham when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice, even though God had said it was through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, he obeyed God anyway. And Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead in verse 19. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. See guys, right there it comes down to a razor's edge. This is how we learn to follow Jesus. This is what it means. It means that everything that is important to us, when we take it and we hold it up to God and we say, God, this matters to me. I have a love for this and affection for this, but this is something that if, if I'm going to know you, if it means giving this up, if it means laying this down and saying, I'm not going to let this stand in the way of knowing you, then God, it's yours. It's yours. I will lay that disappointment before you. I will lay that unfulfilled dream or that longing before you. I will lay those things that I can't figure out or reason my way through in this life before you. God, I will let them be yours. I will trust you with them because I want to know you better than I want everything to be worked out nicely and neatly in this life. And I know that cuts in so many different directions for all of us because every single one of us has things that matter to us. But in order to know God, God told Abraham, I want you to give what is most important to me back to me. And in a matter of speaking, he really did receive Isaac back from the dead. Even though God stopped him, God didn't let him go through with it, God was testing him, he had no intention of letting Isaac actually do this thing, of letting Abraham do this thing to Isaac. He provided a sacrifice for him so that his son would not have to be the one to die. But in terms of Abraham's hopes for 
this life, Isaac really did die. And he was willing to let God be God. I want to ask the praise team to make their way back to the, to the platform. And I have this invitation for all of us this morning. It's something all of us can do. We can do it at our seats. Uh, you can come to the altar and do it. I'm going to ask church uh, leadership in a moment to come and stand here with me, and you can, you can pray with us about it. But I want to ask every single one of us to think about a, a question in response to what you've heard today. And the question is this. What is something precious to you? Something that you have now or you're longing for or you're working toward, waiting for, and it's very, very important to you that this dream that you have comes true. And there's nothing wrong with working towards dreams. Nothing at all with that. God makes us passionate people. God makes us ambitious people. He makes us a people that know how to dream dreams. But what if God is saying to you this morning, I want you to take this dream and however it works out, however it works out, I want you to be content in me so much that if it doesn't work out, you know that I'm better than anything. I'm better than everything. And you will trust me with that dream. Would you stand with me? Leadership, you can come forward at this time. And I just invite anyone who hears God speaking to them this morning about any, anything that is important to you, anything that's precious to you, and you're hearing God say, I want you to take this and let me have it. However it works out, let me have it. And you will know in doing that that God is at work in you, teaching you, trust him more than anything else would you come as we sing all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely Pleasure. 
people, he's that good. He's that good. He is so good and so faithful that if he asks you to wait to the very last breath you draw to teach you, I'm enough. I'm going to be enough for you. Whatever the heartache, whatever the challenge, whatever the pain, whatever the grief, whatever the loss. And the way you get there, the way you get there, the way you get to the place where you know how to die well, how to die in faith, is today saying about everything that is in your hands or not in your hands and you wish it were. God, God, this is yours. I'm looking for another city. It's not here. I'm looking for a place. I'm looking at your promises and I'm welcoming them from a distance, but I know I'm going there. I know I'm going there. And God, I'm willing to be satisfied with you right now to the day I die so that you can teach me how to thank God all the way through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that in this time of worship, God, we can soak in truth, God, that enlarges our hearts, enlarges our minds, and fills our spirits, Lord, with your spirit and helps us to see our lives as you see them and helps us to see how you don't waste a single trial, a single crisis of faith, but God, you use them all to teach us how to walk with you. I thank you for Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, by whose blood we are able to stand before you righteous and without blemish or spot or stain because of his cross, because of what he endured, because of how he entrusted his trial to you and himself to you. And we can even cry out to you because of his death. And God, we pray this morning that what we have heard from your word, Lord, would so transform our hearts that we would see Jesus more clearly than we see anything else in our lives. And I pray this to you, God, through him, through his name, and for his sake. Amen.